be seated. Thank you, Twyla and Chong, for leading today in Hunter's absence. Appreciate that very much. Glad to have you guys there. Well, I missed you guys last week. I was, I was kind of surprised, but um, I was over on the East Coast. I, okay, that came out wrong, didn't it? I didn't, I didn't mean it quite like that. I missed you more than I thought I would. Let me put it that way. Um, that it was, uh, so it was 1.30 on the East Coast, and uh, I had been to church with my extended family in Georgia and uh, opened up the, the website to, to watch the service online. And I just remember thinking, I, I just, I, I wish I was with you guys. I didn't, I didn't tell my mom that. Mom, if you're listening, I loved being with you and the family, okay, but it's not that at all. But I, uh, I went well, like it was, a, it was a good service. I understand there was a, a little bit of excitement sometimes. And so, uh, uh, anyway, I, I enjoyed being away, but I'm glad to be back with you guys. And so, late Merry Christmas and early Happy New Year to every one of you guys for being here today. Thank you for being here. Hey, before I get started, I'm going to do a little, little quick explanation. Um, and again, I don't want to break the mood of, of worship. This is actually a worship thing we're talking about. But one of the things we've decided this year is we want to encourage, in 2024, we want to encourage each of you to, uh, to read the Bible through this year. Uh, some of you have done that maybe 30, 40 times already in your life. And some of you have never done it. So we're going to do some things to, to, uh, to help you get through it. Now, there is nothing like super spiritual about reading through all the Bible in one year. So if you get through everything but, but um, Leviticus, you know, God's not going to like, okay, you don't get a check mark, you know, this year. You get, a, you get a B in your Christianity this year. But we do want you to spend time in, in God's Word regularly. And having a goal for some of us, like me, having a goal like that helps me get through it. So we're providing a plan for you guys to, to do. Now, you can do any kind of plan you want. Some of you read this in the newsletter, but because I know how many of you actually open the newsletter? We actually get a report. We know how many of you actually open your newsletter. How many of you never look at it, all right? Uh, and then those of you open it, we never can tell if you read anything. We can just tell that you've opened it is all. So if you want to look good in the eyes of the church staff, just when the newsletter comes in on Thursday, open it, close it, delete it, and we'll never know then. Except I will know from you, Jackie. I'm going to quiz you on it, okay? All right, but um, I explained a little bit about it, but we're going to do something with a life journal reading plan. Now, if you have another reading plan you like, that's okay. But we're going to try to do this one together. And so when you came in today, you should have gotten a bookmark that had the Bible readings for the, for the first quarter of the month. So for January, February, and March. And you'll notice at the most, it's like four, maybe five chapters a day. And I'm looking around here and I think most of you guys could probably get through five chapters in one day, all right? At somehow, some way you could do it. There's also, if you like doing it on your phone, you have the Bible app. You uh, version, you can, the, the Bible reading plan is there, and you can actually set it up to ding you and remind you every morning, here are the verses you need to read. You can also do something where you can actually friend somebody else in the church, and they can see whether you've read it or not, so we sort of have accountability. Now, that's your choice to do it or not, but I promise you, if you friend me on Facebook, on, not on Facebook, on, YouTube, on the you version, the Bible app, I will friend you back, and you can see if I've done my Bible reading for this week, all right? So that's it. There's one other thing I want to tell you, too, we didn't hand out, but I just want to Give you, and again, this is something about worship. This is the, studies have shown, if you really want to grow as a Christian, worship is important. But the thing that's the most, what they call collinear with Christian growth, that they say that people are growing as Christians and growing in their faith, that they do consistently is read God's word. So consistently engaging in the Bible is, is the number one way 
that helps, or the most common way that people grow in their relationship with Jesus. So there's a little thing you can do called, there's a journal that goes along with this. You don't have to buy one. We, I think in the newsletter we had a link to where you could get one. We don't, we don't sell them. We don't make them. But if you want to try journaling, there's a little thing to help you journal each of this. And this goes with a thing called the SOAP method. S-O-A-P. And here's what it is. Scripture, you read the passage. Oh, you observe what's going on in the passage. And then you find a way through God's Spirit, to apply it to your life. Okay, God, what can I learn out of this passage today? Just write it down, and then write out a little prayer at the end. That's the P of soap. Now, there's nothing super spiritual about that way. It's just an easy way to do it. And so if you want to do the soap, I'm going to try it. I'm a terrible journaler. I really am. But you guys can hold me accountable. I'm going to try to be a better journaler, okay? Spiritual journaler stuff, all right? I'm good about sitting down and writing like, church was really rough today. So many people were mean to me, you know, or whatever like that, or... Or it was really, great, whatever. I'm good about writing those kind of things in my journal, but writing a good spiritual journal, so I'm gonna, that's going to be a way I'm going to try to grow this year in doing that. So I just want to encourage you, if you want to do the journaling, you can pick it up on the way out. We've got just a, a one-page thing on how to do the SOAP plan for journaling there. So if you have any questions, you can email me or, or ask me later about it. But it's just one of the ways we want to encourage us all to kind of do it together and sort of use that positive peer pressure to help us get through God. Oh, and by the way, a little secret on this, okay? We don't... Nobody's going to know but us and anybody who's on YouTube, all right? But if you go through this plan, you'll not only read through the whole Bible this year, you'll read the New Testament twice. So I'm really challenging you guys to step up, all right? So let's try that if you want to try to do that, all right? So just a little quick commercial there. So New Year's Eve when you came to church today, gosh, I'm so glad. I was afraid some of you guys would already be uh, heading to your New Year's Eve parties or whatever that is. Um, um, I got, in fact, I have a New Year's party. To, it's, uh, I'm going to a very special presentation of uh, Stay Home and Do Nothing. Uh, it's one of my favorite shows to watch, uh, and so that's going to be my New Year's Eve. In fact, I'll probably be in bed before. When you get to be my age, it's just like, I'm just going to bed. I'm going to be sound asleep before the fireworks in my na- the illegal fireworks in my neighborhood go off. So, um, yay, Fresno. All right. Um, anyway, but uh, New Year's Eve, I am, I am glad this year is ending. I don't know what it's been like for some of you, but, but, but for me, in a lot of ways, 2023 has been like an excerpt out of one of the best children's books in the world, Alexander and the Terrible Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day by Judith Vorst. I want to read you a few excerpts out of this book. Uh, Alexander is about like six or seven. I'm trying to remember now about how old he is. And so here's just a few excerpts out of the book. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth. Now, now there's gum in my hair. When I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. And Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day because Paul said I wasn't his best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope next time you get a double-decker Starbucks ice cream cone, the, cone, the ice cream part falls off on the cone and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. After school, mom took us to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I'm going to be in Australia. (laughs) 
It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner. I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV. I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes and my marble went down the drain. I had to wear my railroad pajama, pajama train, railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. <laughs> so that was his day. <clears throat> I don't know what 2023 was like for you, but for some of us, it was like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. In fact, for me, I'll tell you, probably every year from 2019, 2020, 2021, 22, every year just feels like it's gotten worse in a lot of ways. Just things that have happened. Some of these things I've shared with you guys, uh, other things just don't need to be shared. But, um, but for some of you, 2023 may feel like this Christmas ornament that got popularized in 2020. Okay, so the dumpster fire of a year. And, uh, you know, and then we get to Christmas, we get through Christmas and we feel like the new year, it's going to be better next year. But in reality, the new year is just really artificial. There's nothing special that makes it. In fact, when the calendar gets to 12, 31, 59, and the next second rolls over, it really ought to just be 1301. That should say 2023 again. It's just like going into the 13th month of the same year. It's all the same. In fact, the new year won't be, in, it won't be any different from the old year unless we are different, unless people are different. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How can we be different? The new year won't be any different unless people are different. And to be honest, most of the people you know aren't going to be any different. I don't expect the 2024 presidential candidates to be any different from the ones in 2020, in 2016, in 2020. In fact, I expect them to be worse in some ways. Not about their ability, maybe their ability, but about their personality and their, and their whatever. <clears throat> and if you disagree with me, that's okay, I'm okay with you being wrong. But um, <laughs> it's just, you know what? Your boss is probably gonna be the same. Your neighbors are gonna be the same. The people who drive, to the same stores that you go to are going to be the same. Hopefully we can be different though. And we're going to look at how Jesus makes us different. We've got a passage here that's a very famous passage for this. I think you probably, most of you heard it before, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 17. We'll go a couple of, chap, couple of verses into chapter 6, all right? So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I said chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 17. It's on the screens there. If you, if you want to use one of the pew Bibles there, the chair Bibles, you can use it there also. But I'm going to read it for you on the screen. This is from the, uh, our uh, Christian Standard Bible, which is the one we use most, most often there. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. We've looked at Corinth and we looked at Acts. And here's what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, that's another word for sins, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the, the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one 
who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, he's talking about Jesus there, working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he, God the Father, he's talking about there, for he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that there is a new beginning in Christ. Not just an artificial new year, but a true new beginning that Jesus can give us. And as we approach this new year, what we call the new year, Father, help us to understand and proclaim the message of Jesus to a world that desperately needs a new hope and desperately needs new lives in your son Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage today, it's one of those things, you know, if you've been paying attention to all of my sermons, you know, generally I have three points. <clears throat> Not always, but generally, I just, I feel like most Bible verses, you just hit them with a spiritual hammer, they'll break into three parts, okay? I don't know why God loves the number three for some reason. But in this passage, I see three different ways that God makes things better. <clears throat> that he really helps make things, takes things and changes them into something way better. And so let's look at the ways, the images that we have for it in that. The first image I see in this says that God takes the old and makes it new. That starts right in verse 17. He says that we are brand new Christians. There, if anyone is in Christ, he is, he or she, that's in Greek, that just like in English, he sometimes means he and she, okay? So you could translate it, that person, he or she, is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Now, that phrase, a new creation, it's one of, you may have heard preachers talk about this before. The Bible's written in Greek, and Greek has, was, a, was a rich language. They just had lots of different words for the same things. You may have heard that there's four different words for love in Greek and that kind of thing. There's two different words for new. And this one, new, means something that's like never existed before. So in other words, you could say that, you know, if you go buy a used car, it's new to you, but it's not new, new, right? So I, like <clears throat> every car I bought recently has been New to me, but not new to this planet, all right? I, bought it, I, I buy used cars usually. But this new means something's never existed before. Not something's been refurbished. Not something that's been redone. Not something you can get discounted on Amazon because our technicians have certified it that it's working right now, that kind of thing. But something's never existed before. Something that is brand spanking new. He says not, not a life that he's buffed the dents out of it. Not a life that he's repainted. Not a life that he's updated. But something that has never, ever existed before. A new order of being. In other words, he's saying when God makes something new, he makes it new. I mean, we're talking about the God who created the world out of nothing, out of nothing, all right? That there was, I mean, not out of old stuff, but out of nothing. And that same God makes us new through Jesus, a completely new order of being. And one of the things our church does, and we're going to do it this, I believe, we still scheduled to have baptism next Sunday? All right, good. Roman, are you here? We scheduled to have baptism next Sunday. We're scheduled. You're, all right, Roman sets up the baptistry for us over here. When in baptism, we represent the fact that when somebody believes in Jesus and accepts his rule in their life and lets Jesus come into their life, that their old person dies and a brand new person is raised up out of the water. <clears throat> That's what baptism symbolizes, a new being coming into existence. 
Not, not in the water itself. That doesn't do anything. But it symbolizes what has already happened when somebody accepts Jesus into their life. It becomes brand new. And let's be honest. Don't we like new things? Okay? How many of you have ever said, hey, come, come and look at my old car? Unless you've restored it and stuff. You just don't do it. But, and we love new things. In fact, when a new car, all right, how many of you love that new car smell? All right, yeah, we all love that new car smell. Even though we know that that new car smell is really just all the toxins coming off the vinyl and the rubber and everything like that, it's probably slowly poisoning you, <clears throat> but we still love it because it's new, all right? <clears throat> in fact, if you want to, you can buy new car, you can buy new car smell in a can. It's a fragrance you can spray in there. But we love that new stuff, a new house. The last two houses I bought were brand spanking new houses. And I had to worry about, like, how many, what kind of nasty feet have been on this carpet? You know, that kind of stuff. Like, like when I used to stay in, travel a lot, I stayed in hotels, and I would, I would never sit on the bedspread in a hotel because that wasn't new, all right? I didn't know where that had been, okay? So, but that new house, you know, I had to really love it. And, all right, I'll admit I'm a little weird, too, about how much my love. I love a new jar of peanut butter. Don't you open up that jar of peanut, and it's just so nice. Oh, and it smells so good. My family all thought it was weird because I will, like, sometimes I will, like, dig a well in the middle of it. So I keep the, it's really all the way down to the bottom, like this little hole about that big. So I keep the rest of it. And I buy the big, you know, Sam's Club, Costco, you know, you know industrial strength peanut butter. And so get in there and do it. Because I love that new, we're just, we're just geared to love new things. But so let's think about it. God is saying your life can be new. Your life can be brand spanking new. Why do we say brand spanking? I don't know why that comes from this. I guess it's a southern phrase maybe. But think about it. What would you like to get rid of in 2024? Would you like to get rid of mistakes you've made? Would you like to get rid of bad decisions? Sins that are troubling your life? Old relationships? What would you like to gain? How about a new attitude, a new way of seeing life, life that you see through the eyes of Jesus? How about a new way of thinking, a way of thinking that's informed by the Holy Spirit that God gives to us once we accept Jesus? How about a new behavior that comes from living in relationship with the creator of the universe? God can give you all of those things. What about new relationships? I don't mean just refurbishing your relationship with your spouse or your kids or whatever, but a relationship that's changed. We could all use that. I've shared with you guys that I've had troubled relationships in my family, and uh, Christmas exacerbates some of those. And, um, and so Jesus can help me make those changes better. And I'm, I'm working on it. I'm struggling with it. But when you don't have Jesus in your life, it becomes even harder to do that. But Jesus, working with you through the Holy Spirit, can help you make those relationships better. That's what Jesus wants to offer you. How about a new life? A new eternal life. God's saying to you right here on New Year's Eve 2023, Jesus says, I will offer that to you. A new way of thinking, a whole new life that comes because of what I did for you on the cross. That's just one way of looking at it. But it's so important that, that Paul phrased it a second way. He said, Jesus not only takes, God only not takes the old and makes it new, but God takes the broken and makes it whole. 
And he talks about this in the word reconciled there. If we go back and look at this passage, he says, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Now, that word reconciling may be throwing some of you younger people because you're not having to worry with this word before, okay? But for those people who are my age, everybody have to remember sit down and reconcile your checkbook by hand, all right? And that's what we call reconciling your checkbook, all right? Some of you have probably never, ever done that before in your life because uh, I have Quicken do mine now, reconcile it for me. But here's what it means. When you reconciled your checkbook, you took what your checkbook said you had in the bank and you took what the bank said you had in your bank and you brought those two numbers together so they were the same. And that's what the word reconcile means. It means to bring something together. So when one person sues another in court and they come to an agreement, they have reconciled. When two people are, 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 have a broken relationship through separation or divorce, when they come back together, we say they have reconciled. They've come back together. And that's the image that Jesus is taking there. He says that, that our relationship with God was broken in two. And why? Because of our sin. That's what really happened. There's a verse in Isaiah. Isaiah, I didn't put it on the screens here, but it's Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. talks about that we have a broken relationship with God. He says, your sins have hidden God's face from you so that he does not hear. It's made his ear dull so he cannot hear you. But what it's just, that's just a poetic way of saying that when we're sinned, we've separated from God. And that's the whole message of the Bible. There's this idea of, of, this, of God being perfect. I've mentioned this before, but I love this illustration. Perfect is one of those absolute words. All right? So, um, so we have a lady in our church who's pregnant. Let's see if anybody would look. All right? So um, now pregnant is not, do you, do you get partially pregnant? You ever anybody say like, hey, I'm almost pregnant? That sounds really creepy, doesn't it? Or I'm 90% pregnant. No, it's very binary. You are or you're not. There's no two ways about it. Okay? Perfection's the same way. There is no such thing as almost perfect. There is really only perfect or imperfect. Something cannot be more perfect than something else. Something can be more nearly perfect, but perfect is an absolute. And if it's not 100%, it's not perfect. So that's the idea. Of, God is absolutely perfect, and he cannot dwell in the presence of imperfection. And our sins, our imperfections, have broken our relationship with God. But God did something through Jesus that we could not do for ourselves. We broke our relationship with God through our sin. But Jesus took the initiative by restoring it. We just celebrated Jesus' birth last week. Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, and in him, he brought God and man back together. And the message of gospel, and some of you have heard this a hundred times already, so now you're going to hear it 101, that what happened is that our sin broke our relationship with God and our punishment for sin is spiritual death. But there was a man who lived by the name of Jesus, fully God, fully human, who never, ever sinned and therefore never, ever deserved death. But what did he do? He died on the cross in our place. He took the punishment for our sin. He said, I know, okay? All right, absolutely, the sweetest person in our church is Donna, all right? I'm going to say that, okay? I have to say it because she's the church administrator. She can, she can mess up my paycheck if she wants to, all right? But Donna is the sweetest person in the world. And, and God looked at Donna and said, Donna, Donna, you're screwed up. You sinned. You're just messed up. You're a mess, girl. But you know what? I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to take that. I'm gonna, 
You moved away from me, but I'm reaching out to you to draw you back to me through Jesus. He was bringing us back together to reconciling us. And I'm going to illustrate for you. I don't often do this. I don't often do magic tricks at church, but I'm going to do one today, okay? Because I, I just I think it's just a great illustration. And I'm honest, I know this is what you remember. You won't remember anything I said in the sermon, but you remember this, okay? So I want to show, so we're going to let this represent it here. Okay, it's not to impress you, it's just a simple magic trick. I'm just fooling you, but it illustrates pretty well how this, how this works. Let this rope represent your life. Has God intended to be? There it is, just perfect by itself. But then we came along and we sinned. We sinned, and what we did when we sinned is we broke our relationship with God. We messed it up pretty bad there, okay? We broke our relationship with him. It's broken in two, right there. It's just messed up. Now, a lot of people don't even realize that's happened. They don't even realize there's that sin mess up in their lives. But some of you, probably people like us that come to church, we realize something's not right. We want to get it right. But a lot of people think, I can fix it myself. If I just follow Jesus, that means living a good life. If I just try to do the right thing, maybe if I read my Bible, I, I, quit, doing, I quit doing bad stuff. Maybe I, I get my life together. I get off drugs or whatever it, you know whatever you might think of when you think of, you know you, when you think of sins okay we need to think of things like pride and selfishness and meanness and that kind of stuff too but we thought we'll get it together we'll try to live a good life we'll follow some good principles but you just leave the Jesus part out of it then you're not really fixing anything like look at that now is this back together no that's still two ropes isn't it you know, if, imagine this is a bigger rope. If you, <clears throat> I used to go rappelling. That's when you back backwards off a cliff. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever done. But somebody pulled out a rappelling rope, and they said, hey, I got this new rope here, and it, and it had a knot in it like that. I'm like, no, thank you. I'll take the trail down, okay? And when people try to do that, and they're trying to just live a good life on their own and just say, I'll just be a good person. I'll just fix things myself. I'll just show everybody how good I can be. They just wind up winding their lives tighter and tighter and tighter, and it just makes it hard. But Jesus said, that's not the way it is. If you will accept my sacrifice for your life, I will actually take your life and I will restore it where it's 100% whole again. Where it's, right, oh, no, 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 don't. Pay attention to, the, to what Jesus is talking about here, okay? It's just a simple magic trick, okay? But Jesus takes it. He paid the penalty for those sins. That's what Jesus did for us. And Jesus brought our lives back together to wholeness through him. And that's what he's talking about here. That our lives were broken, our lives were messed up, but Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and he made our lives whole again. And that's what he's offering to us. Here's the message you need to hear today. God wants to be reconciled to you. You broke from God. It wasn't his fault. We can't blame God for it. <clears throat> We've all sinned in some ways. It is a part of our nature. It's a part of this fallen world we live in. But we broke from God. Our sin did it. But God opened the door for reconciliation through the cross. Through the cross, God said, I forgive you. <clears throat> There's a verse that talks about that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. says, the Son of Man, talking about it's just a name Jesus had for himself, has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Some people think Jesus is out there to hunt them down and blame them. It's not why he came, not to hunt us down, but to seek us 
to draw us back to himself. And he's offering that to each one of us. Now, if you haven't gotten the message yet, there's one more way to look at it. That God not only takes the old and makes it new. He not only takes the broken and makes it whole, but God takes the bad and makes it good. And that's in this passage also. It's one of the weirdest sentences in here, hard to translate in English, but it's back here looking where he says, um, excuse me, um, verse 21 says this, he, talking about God, made the one who did not know sin, he's talking about Jesus, the one who never sinned and did not deserve to die, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a very specific way he phrases that. That Jesus didn't just just wipe away our sins. He took our sins upon him in his death. He took it from us and he bore the penalty of that. And now if we'd been born the penalty of our sin, we'd be dead forever. But Jesus was also fully God and he beat that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he said, I... I not only am going to be sin on your behalf, but I'm going to let you become the righteousness of God. It doesn't say I'm going to have you experience the righteousness of God. I'm not going to pretend like you're righteous before God. I'm not just going to give you the righteousness of God. He says you are going to become the righteousness of God. Then God, once you accept Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your mistakes. He sees his own righteousness. In the old-timey church, we used to say we were covered by the blood of Jesus. That sounds kind of gross. That sounds like it's like a you know, Friday the 13th movie or something, doesn't. But, you know, but what it really means is when God looks at you, when you've accepted Jesus, he sees the blood of his son covering your sin. He sees his own sacrifice to reconcile you back to himself. And that's what God is offering you today. God has a whole history of that. And the Bible talks about several places of it. There's a, there's a place in the Old Testament where Moses is leading the people out of, out of Egypt, and they get to this place called Marah, which means bad, and the water there was poisonous. And through Moses, God made the water into potable, drinkable water. He turned the bad water into good. There's a, a passage in, in 2 Kings with Elisha. He's with a group of, a group of guys there that are, that are making a stew, and they put some some gourds they found in the wilderness, which you don't eat something you just find in the wilderness, okay? But put it in there, and they taste it. Oh, there's death in that stew. And then uh, God told Elijah how to put something else into it. To, Elijah put something into it to fix it. And he turned that poisonous stew into something they could eat. Those are just symbols of what Jesus has done, that he turns things that are bad into stuff that is good. And when we look at the bad in our life, sometimes we look at the bad in our life and we say, Man, I've got such, God doesn't know how bad my life is. Yes, he does. He's seen it all. And you think, Jesus could never love me if he knew all the bad. Man, that's not true at all. In fact, God, when he comes into your life, takes the bad that's in your life, and he uses it to bring about something good. Now, I'm not saying God causes the bad in your life. God's not vindictive like that. But because of our mistakes, because of our sin, we've all been broken and damaged by sin. 
mostly by our own sin, but sometimes by the sins of others that have damaged us and hurt us. And God looks at that bad and says, you know what? I'm going to work through that, and we're going to use that for something good. And so one of my favorite books, you know, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. authors. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote a lot of other more uh, spiritual teaching books. C.S. Lewis was a, was, a theology, was a professor and a great theologian, but he wrote a book called The Great Divorce. It's one of his novels. If you haven't read it, I want to encourage you to, to, to read it at some point. It's like 90 pages. Most of you could read it in a couple of hours. But here's the story of The Great Divorce. It's one of his novels. It is fiction, okay? I want you to get it straight because in it, people that have died and gone to hell can take a bus ride to heaven if they want to, and they can stay if they want to. Now, that is not true, all right? That's it's just a story, okay? So when I talk about accepting Jesus, you can't say, I'm going to live my life now and I'll take the bus later, okay? It doesn't work that way. But in that image, these people from hell get to go to heaven. And when they get there, they realize heaven's much more real than hell is. In fact, when they walk, you can almost see through them. And when they walk, they don't even, the grass doesn't even bend under their feet. In fact, it hurts to walk on the grass because it won't bend under their feet. Because heaven is so much more real than hell is. But these citizens of heaven, these bright, shining beings, not really angels, people that have, that have passed on, friends, they meet these people coming on the bus trip, and they try to convince them to stay in heaven. And the story is really about how we make decisions on earth about whether we want to choose God or choose our own way. So that's what the story's all about. But in one of, these sto- in one of the, the vignettes in there, there's a man who's, who's, who's there visiting, and he's got several friends who have passed on that have met him and trying to convince him to stay in heaven. And he's like, I just don't feel comfortable here. But he's got this green lizard, like an, like an iguana, sitting on his shoulder. And that green lizard is whispering to him all the time, going, you can't trust these people. We don't belong here. Look, we don't fit in. Look how different they are. Let's just go back to hell where we belong. We'll go there. It's comfortable. We've got a nice life there. We can just be comfortable there. And they keep saying, don't listen to the lizard. Listen to us. You can. You'll fit in here if you just will accept what we're talking about. And they're just because you can't trust him. You can't. And that lizard obviously was representing his sin. Sin and the things that had been gone bad in his life. And they were comfortable to him because that's what he was used to. And finally, as the angels talk to him, one of the bright citizens of heaven there says, let us deal with that for you. And he said, okay, and, and this person reaches out and grabs the lizard, and the lizard starts screaming, and then starts smoking, and it just, it sounds horrible in the scene. It's, it's not, I'm, it's probably, he writes it better than I'm telling it, but, and so the, the lizard dies right there, and the, and the person throws the lizard on the ground, and then the lizard starts getting bigger, it starts changing from green to white. And then the lizard grows into this beautiful white stallion that, that stands up, and the man from hell jumps on the stallion and rides off into the sunrise of heaven. And here's what C.S. Lewis was trying to illustrate out of that, that God can take the bad in your life, just as he did through Jesus. I'm in the wind here. I'm sorry. I can't walk on that side. It hits the, the microphone there. All right. So I'm not, I don't like you guys, okay, but all right, maybe this side needs the message more than this side does. I don't know. So maybe it's a, the Holy Spirit today. So um, though some of you might want to change sides real quick. I'm looking, anyway. Okay, Daryl, don't, all right. Sorry, Lord, I got a soft subject. Here's what, that, that you think about the things, the sins you've done. God and say, you know what? I can use that in your life. I can take that bad and make it good just like I took the sins of all the other people around here and I took their sin from them and made them the righteousness of God, I can do the same thing with you. I can take that hurt that you felt 
that brokenness you feel, not only will I make it whole, I will make it something you can use, something you can use to become better, something you can use in my service, in my kingdom, something you can use to make a difference in this world. I see it in this church. People that have struggled in their marriage and now started mar- and, and now are passionate about marriage. People who have experienced homelessness or people who have experienced poverty and now filled with compassion from Jesus. People that have had the loss of a loved one and reach out in compassion to those who've lost loved ones too. I've seen it in many people that have, have reached out to me uh, when I've gone through some struggle times too that God's using what's in their past to help them serve in the future. This is all just an image of what God did in the Easter story. I know we just had Christmas, but now let's look at Easter just briefly. In that Easter story, God took the very worst thing in the history of humanity, the death of his son Jesus, and turned it into the greatest thing in human history the possibility for us to have eternal life with God through Jesus. I want to illustrate it for you one more time. That when, when Jesus died on the cross, I can imagine Satan and the powers of evil going, God, you lost. You sent your son to this earth. You sent your son to this earth and they killed him. They followed me. They did not follow you. They did not want to do what, to, to believe in him. They just killed him. And now, now God, he's in hell. He's separated from you. In fact, I've said this before. Most scholars believe that when Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the moment that God placed on Jesus the penalty for your sins. That's when he became your imperfection. And the perfect God had to, for the first time since before the foundation of the world, In all eternity, for the first time, the Father turned away from Jesus because of his sin. And for the first time, Jesus was truly separated from the Father. And he said, why have you forsaken me? Because he knew what it felt like to be us at that point, to be separated from God. And Satan said, I bound him in heaven, and I have the key to heaven. I have the key, God. I have it. It's my territory. He belongs to me. You have lost. Humanity is mine. And you know what, God? I am never going to let him go. He is mine forever. But what Satan didn't realize is three days later, he heard a loud crash. And he ran to the gates of hell and found him ripped off the hinges. And he said, no, this is mine. I have the key. And he didn't. He didn't have the key. Jesus had broken down the gates of hell, grabbed the key for himself. And on the way up to heaven to be with the Father, he stopped by Walmart and picked up one of those little key-making machines. (laughs) And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, just making keys all day, saying, you guys do really laugh at the stupid ones, don't you, okay? All right. The, the Castro boys, married girls with low levels of, of humor, okay? I can tell, they're, sorry, if, you don't, if you're watching online, never, it's one of our unique, you've got to be here to get it, okay? So come next week, all right? But Jesus offers to each one of us the key to the kingdom of heaven. That's what he does. That's, he offers us freedom from sin. 
And that's what he's offering to each one of you. So as we get ready to close, for everyone first, I want to say, regarding 2023, I want you to trust that God can bring good for us and God can bring good for his glory, even from the bad and broken stuff of this old year. It's nothing compared to the power of God and the love he has for us. And I encourage all of us to trust him in 2024 and yield our lives to him. For believers, for those of you who already trusted in Jesus, I want you to examine your life. This is a good time to examine your life. Don't, don't worry about making New Year's resolutions. Just open your life up before God and say, God, help me see what my life has been. And you help me to see where I need to go next. Are there old, broken, bad things in your life that Jesus has already taken care of, but you've held on to and needed to let go of now? Anything you've got in your life that's old and broken and bad, Jesus has already given you the remedy through life in him. So all you have to do, for those of you who believers, just turn away from them and say, God, show me the better. Move me away from the old, the broken, and the bad and move me to the new, the whole, and the good. And confess those things to him right now and ask him for forgiveness again. Not forgiveness for all of your sin that he's already forgiven, but forgiveness of the ones you've, you've tried to grab back. And ask him for direction for your future and determine ways to live more in his power. And I'll encourage you, living in the body of Christ is a way that we do it, a way that we stay accountable to each other, a way that we stay... Um, a way that we, that we help each other grow. As the Bible, the Bible calls it, stimulating one another to love and good deeds. That's why we gather together here, to strengthen ourselves for the fight, just for life. And then finally, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and I don't know what your relationship with each one of you is with Jesus, but if it's not, I want to let you know, today can be the day that you receive his forgiveness, that you get the new, the good, the unbroken in your life. In fact, if we look back at that passage, he says this, the very end, he says, verse two of chapter six, he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. You have to see this, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. There's no reason why today you could not give your life to Jesus. We, because, it's a, because Hunter's not here today, we're not going to do a, an invitation song. Normally I would at this point. At this point. But what I'm going to encourage you now, when, do we have a song after? I don't even know. Is it a song or going right to announce? You're doing the announcements? Okay, we're going to straighten the announcements. I want to encourage you this. Once I dismiss us, when service is over, I'll be in the back right here. And I want you to talk with me or there's several others. We've got, we've got uh, Anthony and Red and a few other guys that we can talk with you. I don't want any of you to walk out of this room today without knowing Jesus as your Savior, without knowing forgiveness of your sins, without knowing that God is, is in the process of taking your bad and making it good. You're old and making it new. Taking your brokenness and making it whole. Start off 2024 
really brand new, being a whole new order of being, a new creation, because Jesus died for you and rose again. Let's pray. Father, I just really first thank you for what you did for us through Jesus. Father, thank you that it wasn't just some magic trick. It's something you really did, something you, an amazing thing, that you truly took the worst thing in history and made it the greatest thing in history. And Father, right now, if there's anyone in this room who does not have a relationship with you, Father, I pray that they may accept you today, that they may yield your life to, to, their life to you, not so that we can say they did it, but so they can experience newness and wholeness and goodness. Father, may they know the joy of being in your presence because of Jesus and of what he did for us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.